This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is this the final podcast of regular season? It is. Sanity. I uh, did not. I mean, as we started recording, that flew into my head the last second before <laughs> as the countdown to start recording expired. Yeah, this is the last podcast of the 2018 regular season. What on earth? Yeah, to be honest with you, I was thinking like when we were what we were going to do for the intro, I thought like this is episode 175. Isn't that cool? Like it's a nice round number. Yeah. I don't know what the 175th anniversary podcast is if that's like super diamond or what that means exactly but that sounds cool and now it it kind of hits me that like the last podcast of the regular season is more meaningful than just a silly number i can't believe it i this is my fifth season in this job um and by the way welcome into episode 175 of the milb.com podcast the show before the show uh he's sam dykstra i'm tyler mon i apologize for sounding like kermit the frog um but uh it's been a long few weeks um the uh my fifth season with milb.com every year has gotten faster the inexorable march to death just continues speeding up (laughs) But I, feel, but I really feel like like I feel like it was 15 minutes ago we did the first show of the season. And the thing was, I remember over the off season, all I kept saying was like, man, it's almost a season. Can't believe it. Can't believe how fast this off season's going. And now here we are, the end of the regular season. What I'm saying is we're all going to be old someday. Yes, yes. Time marches on as it always does. Um, and, and we'll get more into like what this season means. We're still in it. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. there's plenty that we're going to get to in the offseason in terms of Milby Awards that we're starting to put together now and organization all-stars and how we're going to frame this season and what it all means to us. That's not what we're here to do today because it is still the regular season. There is still baseball to be played. Uh, there is a whole nother month of Major League Baseball still to come and which prospects are going to come up and all that. So so we'll get, you know, we'll, we'll get nostalgic for the 2018 season when it's officially over but uh the fact that we're knocking on the door here and, and you know the season ends on monday labor day uh for most leagues except for the pioneer league which is weird for some reason um is, is insane and and uh it, yeah this is my seventh season i began in 2012 uh and it does even get faster beyond five years oh, six years goes faster great. seven years goes faster yeah so that's what you have to look forward to which is weird, me telling you that because you're the older one here. The fact that oh, I'm thanks. telling you what you have to look forward to, yeah. Thank you. Just a nice role reversal for us this thank week. Thank you for pointing this out. Um, that's good. That's good. You're older. Time will go faster. That's what you're saying to me. <laughs> Very excited. You're old, that. Tyler. Is what I'm saying. I, I never want you to forget that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so with that, welcome into this week's episode of the show before the show. Thanks for finding us wherever you did. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on the Stitcher app. We're, I don't know, maybe we're on Spotify. Maybe we're on some other, I don't think we're on Spotify. Maybe we're on some other platforms. We're not wherever on Spotify yet, but we should this offseason. That's, yeah, that's going to be an offseason goal. Okay. I, I submitted our thing to them a couple months ago, um, and then I never heard back. A bunch of punks. 
That's we're talking to you, Spotify. Um, but wherever you found us, give us a rating and a review and a subscription, and get in touch with the show if you would like. Podcast at milb.com. Uh, and with that, we'll roll in three strikes. Our first segment week after week in which we discuss the most pressing topics of minor league baseball, and we get things started this week with uh, September call-up preview. We're just a couple of days away from rosters expanding to the full 40-man groups for the September playoff push in the major leagues. Um, I've already seen some uh, promotions. Luis Arias goes up to the major leagues with the San Diego Padres. Um, Some Peter Alonso news. But, Sam, what's uh, right now, what's on your radar most uh, as far as September call-ups go? Yeah, so I'm just going to run through the list here real fast of players we expect who are ranked amongst MLB.com's top 100 right now who we expect will be called up. This isn't like, oh, they might be, oh, they're in place too, maybe. These are guys who are, you know, 95% sure will be called up in September. Uh, just a quick note on that. Uh, Tyler mentioned it's members of the 40-man. It doesn't have to be every man member of the 40-man. If you're on a 40-man roster, you're not necessarily going to get called up. Uh, it just means you are eligible to be added to the active roster. Uh, so sometimes players get protected from the Rule 5 draft, even though they haven't pitched above Class A, and then they pitch at Class A advanced this year. It uh, doesn't mean they're going to skip three levels just because the floodgates are open now. Um, but that being said, these are some of the names you can expect to come up Maybe on September 1st, maybe after the season ends in the minor leagues, maybe after the playoffs end, etc. So I've got Victor Robles with the Nationals, Kyle Tucker with the Astros, Michael Kopak is already up with the White Sox, as we discussed last week, Luis Urias, who Tyler just mentioned, got called up this week with the Padres, Uh, Francisco Mejia also with the Padres, he'll probably be moved up, he already has some experience with the Indians, Alex Verdugo, Ben up and down this year with the Dodgers, Billy Calhoun, same deal with the Rangers, uh, Luis Gohara with the Braves, Danny Jansen with the Blue Jays already on the the active major league roster before September 1st, Tuki Toussaint who made his debut earlier this month, Colby Allard just got added this week already, he had made his major league debut already this month with the Braves, uh, Anthony Alford debuted last year with the Blue Jays, I expect him to be up even though it's been kind of a rough year for him, and Dakota Hudson is currently pitching out of the St. Louis bullpen, those are the top 100 prospects we expect to be there, uh, some question marks that I have right now, and we might expand this list. I'm going to make this a tool shed for Friday. Uh, but the way things look right now, these are definitely not sure things. They're not on the 40-man roster yet. Uh, would they get added in time? You know, would they get added to the 40-man roster and then called up for their debuts? We'll have to see. Jesus Uzardo with the A's. Uh, the A's act. He said when they he got pushed to AAA, maybe it was a possibility he could make the jump to Oakland, move into the bullpen. Then this week, uh, their general manager hinted that that might not be a possibility anymore. They have a hard innings cap for him. Obviously, he has a history of Tommy John. They're still building up innings with him. He didn't pitch a full season last year, uh, so they don't necessarily want to push him, even though the A's are one of the most fun teams in baseball right now and are making a hard push for the AL West. Uh, Kyle Wright, listen, if the Braves are going to call up Tuki Toussaint, Colby Allard, Mike Soroka earlier in the year, Luis Gohara why isn't right in that conversation he very well might be kind of in that same slot austin riley uh started to turn things around show a little bit more power triple a gwinnett uh you know if the braves are really going to make that push for the al east he might be the future of the third base position for them do they want his bat even just coming off the bench that's a possibility uh and justice sheffield who has been moved to the bullpen with triple a scranton wilkesbury uh part of that is innings management obviously but also 
you know, the Yankees don't have a spot in the rotation for him necessarily. They would love to see how his stuff works out of the bullpen right now. That's not his long-term goal. It's not his long-term plan. Uh, if he's going to make the club in 2019, it's going to be as a starter. But, you know, if they're going to maybe catch the Red Sox in that AL East and that gap is closing, they're going to want as many good arms in that bullpen as they can get. Justin Sheffield is easily one of the better arms in the Yankee system, not just the farm system, but like in the entire organization. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see if they actually give him that call. Uh, like I said, he has been pitching out of the bullpen so far. So we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Those are four names to watch come September. Uh, Tyler alluded to it a little bit. One name you will not see, which is pretty heartbreaking, uh, as the New York Mets announced this week that Peter Alonso, first baseman, uh, arguably the best first base prospect in baseball right now, will not be making the jump to the majors. Uh, a lot of people believe that happens to be because of defense, and his defense is rough. I'm not going to say it's great, even though, you know, in a weird way, they gave him the AAA Defender of the Month in July. Uh, so they've already awarded for him for his defense and then come back and say that he's not going to get called up because he still needs to work on his defense. Uh, you know, the Mets have a crowded first base situation. Jay Bruce, Wilmer Flores, Dominic Smith somehow still isn't getting regular bats in the major leagues. Uh, so they're not going to be able to find it for Alonzo. But That's the reason the why this so is so weird about this Mets situation, I mean, we've talked about the Dom Smith thing for like two years. The former, this was the conversation we had about Dom Smith a couple of years ago, and now we're applying it to another prospect of first base in that system. Right. And Dom Smith has talked openly about like wanting a, a chance with the Mets. He, he said he very much saw himself in the mold of an Ozzy Albies, uh, maybe even Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna as a guy who is ready to hit at AAA, and all he needed was that chance in the majors. And, you know, once he could prove himself, it, he thought he could take off. And he just has never really been given that. Then they throw on top of it, hey, by the way, we want you to play left field uh, because we have too complicated a first base situation out of our own doing, really. Um, it's just very unfortunate. I am always going to advocate for the best 25 players being in the major leagues. Um, I think Peter Alonso is one of the 25 best players in the Mets system right now. Uh, he certainly earned the chance to to get a major league look. Uh, even he thinks so. I mean, he's a friend of the podcast. Anybody who listened to that episode a couple months ago knows how freewheeling he is, how willing he is to talk and share his mind. And as journalists, we love that. And I think as fans, anybody would love that. Uh, but he told this to MLB.com's Anthony DiComo. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's really disheartening and disappointing because one of the things that people tell you is as long as you were successful, you're going to be in the big leagues. Just one of those things where I understand it's an organizational decision. And at the end of the day, I have to respect that. But it's really disheartening because I feel like I've performed and am deserving of a reward. Uh, you might decry that as millennials being millennials. You know, you deserve a trophy because you did something. I don't see that at all. I see this as a guy who hit 33 home runs this year between double A and triple A. Um, you know, if you're the Mets, you want to see how Alonzo is going to react to major league pitching. You want to see if he deserves to, you know, win the opening day job next year at first base. Uh, you're not playing for anything. The Mets are, they're not going to catch the Braves. They're not going to catch the Nationals. They've known this for a long time. They're already sellers. Uh, you know, they traded Jose Batista. They trade, traded all these names. Ioannis Suspedes is out for the year. Um, you know, I want Peter Alonso to get that chance. I want to see what kind of major league 
figure he's going to get inst- or he's going to be. Instead, this is planning for six years down the road, trying to, you know, maybe they call him up at the end of April to delay free agency by a year. Maybe they call him up even in late June uh, to push back arbitration. And that's just unfortunate because it's it's not helpful to the player. It gets you in another Dominic Smith situation where the player's doubting himself. What have I done wrong? Uh, you want your best players to be rewarded. And when you compare that to what the Padres have done with Luis Urias, uh, you know, with guys like Eric Lucchese, or Joey Lucchese, excuse me, or like Eric Lauer at the beginning of the year. If you are ready, we will reward you now. We want you to be happy. You are part of this organization. We want you to feel like you're going to earn your way to the major leagues. Uh, Rios, by all accounts, is a better prospect than Peter Alonso, and yet the Padres are willing to start his clock now because he has earned this spot, and that's going to end up, you know, with a happier Arias at a time when the Padres are ready to contend, uh, a more ready Arias because he's going to have that major league time, uh, trying to worry about what things are going to be like in 2023, 2024 is a little too farsighted uh, for my taste, especially when guys are knocking on the door right here in uh, 2018. Speaking of uh, of September columns, one guy who will not be a September column, but we did not acknowledge at the beginning of the show uh, we call it a get in the industry. Sam today comes through with White Sox prospect Dylan Cease for the show. Dylan Cease is coming up here in a little bit. So uh, you're not going to be seeing him in Chicago this year. But White Sox fans, get excited. Dylan Cease been fantastic. Shut down for the rest of the year. However, not shut down from the podcasting circuit. And he stops by the show here today. <laughs> you like that? Strike two this week, Sam. We've got some postseason all-star recognition, end-of-season all-star recognition. Uh, we always have that conversation uh, on the site. End-of-season, not postseason. Postseason means all-stars for the playoffs. End-of-season all-star recognition coming in. Uh, the South Atlantic League, the International League, the Pacific Coast League, those two AAA leagues, the latter two. Uh, some others that came out. Um, who's standing out most from these uh, these award lists? Yeah, so I'll touch quickly on two in the uh, that came out today, which were the Southern League and Florida State League. Uh, so the two most recent ones, uh, the Southern League. Somebody I feel like we haven't talked too much about on the podcast, but is still kind of an interesting prospect uh, is Corey Ray was named the Southern League MVP today, uh, which is really cool. Uh, he's had it feels like a breakout season. I don't know. I I've had this discussion with other people in our office. Do you really call it a breakout season for somebody who was a college bat in 2016, uh, was one of the best college bats in his class, one of the best draft prospects, went first round, had a disappointing 2017, and is now a league MVP essentially at double A, two stops away from the majors. Is that a breakout? Quite one or wouldn't quite put it that way uh, for Corey Ray, but he is back on, on a, a good track for sure. Uh, 27 homers in 130 games this year for double-A Biloxi in the Milwaukee Brewers system. Uh, add in 35 steals. I mean, that's the power-speed combo that a lot were expect, a lot of people were expecting out of him. Uh, still only hitting 238 and 170 strikeouts. So as a prospect profile, he's not going to quite – push his way into the top 100 uh, with worries like that. But for him to show that power and that speed, that's good enough to get Southern League MVP, uh, which makes him – it's not a dominant – 
prospect profile, like I was saying, uh, in terms of like now we're going to have to talk about him because there are still a lot of holes in his swing. There's still a lot of issues with him. But he is a more interesting prospect now than he was beginning of the year. Um, so to see that growth is really cool. Uh, one other one I want to touch on in, in the FSL, uh, Jose Pujols was named MVP there. Four MLB uh, top 100 prospects named to that end-of-season all-star list. Taylor Trammell, who was the Futures Game MVP, as some folks might remember. Uh, Jesus Sanchez with Charlotte. Ian Anderson with Florida. And Andres Jimenez uh, with St. Lucie. Most of those, except for Trammell, have since moved up to A. That's just kind of how the, these things work. So these all-star lists are, are always interesting because uh, how do you kind of weigh – you know, here's a player who only played three quarters of a season. Is that enough for us to award them? Usually the cutoff is if they're still qualifying for things like average OBP and slugging, then yes, that was good enough. Um, but interestingly, even Dell Isabel, who is somebody, if you listen two weeks ago, we talked about like kind of handicapping the Joe Bauman home run award. Uh, he was in that discussion. I kind of put him off to the side because he's playing in the Florida State League, Florida State League being a pitcher's park or a pitcher's league at the very least. And he's continued to just tear the cover off the ball. Uh, he's now hit, set an FSL record with 35 home runs in 100 games. He leads all of the minors now with 36 home runs. He's pulled away from that pack in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. Uh, and yet all that set the FSL record. He, his 580 slugging percentage is tops in the FSL right now. His 917 OPS is tops in the FSL. He was named an end-of-season all-star as a designated hitter, uh, does not get the MVP award. Pujols gets that because Pujols was second in OPS, second in WRC+, uh, second in slugging, second in a lot of the things that Isabel led in, except Pujols also added some really special defensive skills. Uh, he was tied for the league lead and outfield assist with 11. So the FSL obviously looking for a more all-around player here for the MVP. We don't have war. We don't have something to compare it to. Uh, which is you know, a little bit disappointing in terms of how these MVP discussions go, uh, but kind of interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, you know, Some of these other ones that, that, that Thailand and uh, in the IL, Tide Alley Sweeps Awards, Joey Manessis, who I know a lot of Phillies fans have kind of hoped would get a chance this year. He wins MVP and Rookie Year is a silly award to give in the minor leagues, but we'll put that aside. Uh, they have a lot of pitcher in Cole Irvin. And PCL hasn't handed out individual awards, but there's some names you'll all recognize, like Urias, uh, Kevin Crone, A.J. Reed. Alex Verdugo, Tyler O'Neill, Kota Hudson, who we've already talked about today. Uh, so a lot of the names in those AAA ones as well. You can check all those out on the site or go to the individual league pages. They'll all have those all-star lists. And more of those will start pouring in, uh, obviously, as we get closer to the end of the season on Monday. Strike three this week as we uh, wrap up three strikes for this week's episode. The playoffs are on deck in uh, actually underway in a couple of leagues. The Gulf Coast League and the Arizona League at rookie level have already opened their postseasons. But uh, which league's playoffs are you going to enjoy watching the most in 2018, Sam? Yeah, so for, first off, congratulations to the GCL Tigers West uh, for winning the first minor league championship of the season. They won today over a, uh, in a Game 3 scenario, uh, which was kind of funny because their Game 2 got suspended in the middle of the way. Like, imagine the World Series getting suspended Game 2, and then you have to come back and play a doubleheader the next day. Obviously, that wouldn't happen. Uh, but they take a best-of-three series over the Cardinals. So congratulations to the GCL Tigers West. One thing I'm finding really interesting, and I do this every year. I feel like the last couple of years when we've had this podcast, I always get most excited for the AAA playoffs, uh, which are interesting because 
a lot of these guys who make these teams exciting have made them exciting at the beginning of the year have been called up i mean they're you know looking right now at the pcl standings memphis is the first team with 80 wins what made that team good was players like dakota hudson daniel ponce de leon tyler o'neill uh who are all with the cardinals now and and you know that they're not going to be making that same push that being said the international league and pacific coast league are the two leagues at the same level that will meet for an actual quote unquote well it that's what it's called it's called the triple a national championship it's the one time we get to see two leagues go against each other for a trophy and you know we can talk about whether that means anything it, it it's basically an exhibition uh but it's still cool it's still something to fight for and a lot of these guys some of them you know won't be getting called up at the end of the year they've fought a long time to make the majors this is their chance to kind of end with glory which I find really interesting. Um, but what makes this, this interesting this year is that I was at last year's AAA National Championship game in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. Uh, it was between Memphis and Durham. Durham ended up taking the championship uh, in a really fun game. I think Keen Wong was the MVP after hitting a grand slam. Right now, as things stand, Memphis has already clinched its place in the PCL playoffs. Durham uh, has a magic number of one, so they're up six and a half games over Norfolk, very likely to head back the IIO playoffs as well and I would love to see a rematch of that and it's obviously not a, a clear rematch some of the best players on Durham you know Brent Honeywell pitched in that game last year he's got Tommy John surgery Willie Adamas and Jake Bowers were big contributors to that team now they're with Tampa Bay uh, so it's not exactly wouldn't be Durham going for an exact repeat here necessarily that said those two teams are very interesting in terms of the way their major league parent clubs treat their AAA teams. Um, you know, the Rays rely heavily on internal development and getting guys up to the majors as quick as they can and as successfully as they can. Uh, Nate Lowe is on that Durham team now. I think he started the year at Class A Advanced Charlotte, keeps passing the test, and now he's earned that look. Uh, and, you know, Memphis is kind of the same situation. A lot of what makes this Cardinals team so good right now is homegrown talent. Uh, to see them continue to win like this, you know, it's not easy to do. So to see the formula work again is really interesting. Uh, but part of that formula it involves really good coaching and really good managing. Uh, Stubby Clapp this week was named the PCL manager of the, the year. Uh, no huge surprise, like I said, led uh, Memphis to a PCL title last year. It ha currently has them in with the best record in the PCL this year. Uh, he's been really good to deal with on our end. He's, he seems like very much a player's manager, gets along with a lot of the guys. Uh, over on the Durham side, Jared Sandberg, the same way. Um, you know, anybody you talk to, players love playing for him. Really nice person, really good to deal with. Uh, and just looking at that in terms of the Cardinals this week took off the interim tag off of Mike Schilt. Uh, their interim manager, who, who took over for Mike Matheny, obviously. The Cardinals have gotten a lot better since Schilt took over. Is that correlation, causation? Not entirely sure. That said, and anybody who follows me on Twitter will know this, I'm always going to beat the drum for minor league managers getting major league jobs, especially ones in systems like the Cardinals, who rely on internal talent so much, or ones like the, the Tampa Bay Rays, who rely on that same thing. You know, you want by the time your top talent makes the majors, you want them to feel comfortable. You want them to know that they can 
that they have somebody behind them who trusts them and who has been with them every step of the way. Mike Schilt has managed almost every step of the, the Cardinals chain uh, and has done really well. Stubby Clap is basically Schilt 2.0. Uh, so to see him, him maybe win another PCL title, maybe get Memphis its first AAA title uh, would be a chance for him to get that major league job that's eluded him so far. It's probably not going to come in St. Louis, which defeats my argument about him growing with guys, but he has grown as a manager, and I would like to see that rewarded. Same thing with Jared Sandberg. Uh, I don't think Kevin Cash is going to be leaving Tampa Bay anytime soon, but Charlie Montoyo before him had climbed all the way to the majors after managing uh, Durham for a couple of years. I would just like to see these guys get the same chance that Schilt get, and I would like to see the game kind of acknowledge what minor league managers can bring to the uh, the higher benches. So that's three strikes for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. And uh, coming up, we're going to head to the Chicago White Sox organization and the fifth-ranked prospect in that system. Sam got a chance to catch up with Dylan Cease, shut down for the year, but a terrific start to 2018 with Winston-Salem. Terrific finish with Birmingham at A, And Dylan Cease joins the show next. Joining us on this week's minor league baseball podcast, the show before the show, is number four, number forty-four, excuse me, overall prospect uh, Dylan Cease. Joining us shortly after being shut down with Double A uh, Birmingham, Dylan, how you doing? W- what has this week been like officially now that the White Sox have already announced that you know your season is already done? Yes, uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, this week's been uh, definitely a little bit more relaxed for me. Um, just uh, basically being a cheerleader, so it's been good. Yeah, so take us through where you are right now. Are you still with Birmingham? I'm still with Birmingham, and uh, we have one more road trip, so I'm just uh, pack everything up, get the apartment packed up, and uh, getting ready for that. Cool. All right, so let's take everybody through exactly what led into that decision. You've thrown 124 innings this year, mm-hmm. uh, finished up the year with Birmingham, like I said, started out at Class A Advanced Winston-Salem. This is the first time you've ever eclipsed 100 innings in a season. Uh, what has this season like been, or what has this season been like from beginning to end for you? You know, looking back to where you were as a pitcher back in you know February, March when you're showing up to spring training, to where you are now after 124 regular season innings. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I could ask for uh, a better season to be honest in terms of how I developed. You know, I came into the season not really feeling that confident with my off speed, and I feel like I really kind of changed the shape on two mile speed pitches and got a feel for everything. So, uh, it was, it was really solid. And, you know, even though I'm at 124 innings, uh, my body and arms still feel good. So, um, yeah, I was, I was happy with it. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, the White Sox obviously had a number in mind for you and at the beginning of the year. And, uh, how much was that in your mind going down this last stretch, you know, through August that you were kind of creeping up there because that last start you had for them, you know, five innings, and then when were you notified that, you know, that was it for you? Uh, it was actually the next day that they told me. Um, I, I kind of figured it might happen just because I think it's kind of a, a rule in baseball. You're only supposed to go 20% over the next year. So, um, I mean, I understand why they did it. And I, you know, um, I appreciate that they're trying to, you know, be careful with me. So I kind of figured it might happen. 
Yeah, so just so the people at home know, last year you threw 93 in the third innings between mm -hmm. Class A South Bend and Class A Kannapolis between the Cubs and White Sox system. We'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, obviously a, a strong year for you. You had a 2.40 ERA, 160 strikeouts in those 124 innings. It wasn't just being healthy. Uh, you mentioned the development of your off-speed stuff. Uh, what pitches were you kind of focusing on that? Because you said the shape of two of them. Uh, how do you feel like they developed and what were you doing to, to make those pitches better? Yeah, uh, well, last year, um, I didn't even throw a changeup, really. So this year in, in high eight, I mean, I think I was throwing it over 20 times a game, and I wasn't really throwing my curveball or slider much. And then uh, I got to double A, and it kind of switched to where I was throwing more of my curveball and slider. But uh, I changed my curveball grip to a spike curve, and uh, I was able to get a better feel and thought that the shape of the pitch was better and a little bit better feel. And then uh, the slider was really a pitch I didn't throw last year either. So um, I just continued to throw that, and then... I was finally able to get a, a good feel for that too. So I, there were times during this year where I was having, you know, three really good pitches, sometimes four working for me at a time. Yeah, and that curveball you brought up, you know, people thought it was really good even when you were coming through the draft and, and coming up through the Cubs system. Uh, why make the change, and what do you feel like it's doing differently now? Uh, I just didn't. I, I didn't feel like it was as sharp as it could be. I didn't. I didn't feel like. I would get, you know, I would get takes on it, and I would get people fell off, but I didn't feel like I was getting a whole lot of swing and misses. And uh, but then I, you know, you watch guys like a big guy I watched was Dane, where his curveball stays on a fastball plane really long, and then at the end it just breaks off. So that's kind of what I wanted to, uh, the shape of mind to be like. And um, you know, it, when I got to double, I was able to do that pretty quickly, uh, figure out how to how to get mine shaped like that, and it definitely made life a lot easier. Yeah, and, and by Dane, we should say you mean Dane Dunning, who, who was with yeah. Birmingham for most of the year, another guy who's been traded into that system. Uh, yep. White Sox system, obviously, very loaded right now. That's part of the rebuild process that they've gone through. But uh, what is it like being with that much talent? I mean, you know, there, there's yourself. Kopech just got called up. We talked about him on the show last week. Eloy's obviously doing crazy things at Charlotte. You're getting to rub arms with, you know, Dane Dunning. Alec Hansen was there for part of the year. Uh, what does this do mm -hmm. for you just to be part of this talent group? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's always a good thing to try to learn and see what everyone else, else is doing. So especially with a guy like Dane who has good command and good feel for his stuff. There's no, there's no reason why you can't go to him and ask him, you know, what do you do that makes you consistent? What do you do that makes this pitch good? So um, that, that was probably the biggest thing, really. And uh, speaking of what this year has been like, you know, finishing the year healthy is obviously a, a number one goal for you. But when you look at back yeah. on it, you know, you were a midseason all-star. Uh, in the Carolina League, you went to the Futures game. Uh, there were numerous times I feel like we wrote about you where you struck out more than 10 batters in an outing. Yeah. Uh, what what would you call the highlight of your year now that it's officially finished? The highlight? So my best game was probably I, I took the perfect game into the, I want to say, seventh against the Smokies. Um, yeah, I had um, I, I think I had a couple games where I had no hitters into the fourth or fifth maybe. But that was probably the highlight uh, for me. And, and obviously, like you said, finishing the season healthy is a big highlight. But, um, yeah, I would say, I mean, I, I was really happy with this season. And uh, so one of the things that 
that's kind of on your profile, like we've mentioned, was going from the Cubs to the to the White Sox. Eloy Jimenez joining you in that trade for Jose Quintana. Uh, you've gotten mm-hmm. to experience both sides now of Chicago uh, fandom a little bit. Obviously, you haven't made the majors yet, so you don't know what it's like yeah. to play on the north side or south side. But getting a taste of both of those fandoms, especially at times when they're both rebuilding, how do they compare in yeah. your eyes? Yes, uh, I was obviously a lot younger when I was with the Cubs, so um, you know it's kind of hard to to compare. But um, uh, you know, when I was with the Cubs, was, all the hype was around, you know, Bryant and Bias and all those guys that were still in the minors and Schwarber. Uh, and I was I was just at the lower levels, um, really just rehabbing. So this is different because I actually feel like I'm a part of um, you know the rebuild. Do you feel like you get more attention that way because you are a little bit more of the rebuild? I mean, you're on social media. You kind of understand how that goes. You're, you know, playing every day. Got There's a lot more attention paid to the White Sox system now. Does that trickle down as much as we think it does, or do you feel like you're able to stay more, even more contained still? Yeah, I mean, I think we get a good amount of attention. Um, Eloy definitely, Eloy and Kopech definitely get, you know, the most, which they deserve. Um, for me, I really, whether I get a lot of attention or not, as long as I'm executing pitches and, and moving and doing what I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing. Yeah, so what, is, what does that do when somebody like Kopech makes his debut and you see the way the organization gets excited about it? I mean, it wasn't just the fans who were talking about it, but the organization completely blew it up, announced it a couple of days before it was coming. Uh, they're as excited to see you guys come up. Uh, what is it like to have that backing of an organization and see the guys coming before you, uh, you know, draw that excitement to the south side? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it definitely makes it a lot sweeter. Um, I think it, it just shows you that they're, you know, supporting us and backing us up with everything that we're doing. And, um, you know, they are planning on counting on us. And uh, as somebody who finished the year at A. I feel like double-A, normally when I talk to guys, they say they can kind of taste it uh, a little bit closer because guys have jumped from double-A to the majors. Obviously, that's not in the cards for you this year. Uh, but when yeah. you did finally move to Birmingham in, I think it was late June, uh, what was that change like going from the Carolina League to the Southern League? It, it, could you feel that much closer, or did this just feel like the next step? Yeah, the baseball definitely felt uh, cleaner. Um, there's there's a lot of talent high, too, but... You know, Double A definitely felt like um, like it was clean professional baseball. So, whether you know whether or not it feels like the big leagues, I don't know because I, I haven't been any higher than this. But uh, it, it definitely it feels like it's pretty close. And uh, we've talked about you know why you've been shut down. What you know they only added twenty percent and all that, but a, a lot of it goes into kind of your health history. Uh, you were taken in the sixth round out of Georgia, you know, out of a high school in Georgia back in 2014 by the Cubs. They knew you had some elbow problems at the time. You eventually went through Tommy John. Last year, you Mm -hmm. had a little bit of shoulder problems at the end. Uh, To come back to this point, what did you do in off-seasons, in rehabs, and all that to kind of get to the point where you could throw 124 innings in a season? Yeah, I think it's just being consistent with, um, you know, with the lifting and all that. Um, I have a pretty good program that I follow with, uh, it's called Rapid. Uh, sports performance in Woodstock, Georgia, and uh, they write up a good program, and I, I really just stick to it, and I do a little bit of Pilates, too, so I, I plan on doing that again this offseason. I really, I wouldn't even mind working with a, you know, a physical therapist and having them check out my body and see, you know, 
maybe I need to strengthen this in my shoulder, you know, whatever it may be. Just, um, I wouldn't mind doing that, and obviously that's going to help in the long run. Yeah, you mentioned Pilates, and you also I, – I saw one story t- talked about how yoga has kind of taken over in your preparation. When did the light turn on to kind of go after working on flexibility in, in that way? Yeah, I actually don't know. I don't do a whole lot of physical yoga at all. It's more about, like, the, the uh, meditation, like the spiritual part of it. Uh, but I, this offseason, I've got some, like, yoga r- retreats that I'm going to that I'm pretty excited to learn about all that stuff, too. So uh, hopefully it has become a bigger part of my preparation. <laughs> where, where, any idea exactly where you're going to be headed on a yoga retreat? Uh, it's, yeah, it's in Tennessee. But, uh, oh, okay. This yogi I like, he's got, like, a place in Tennessee, so... It's going to be like a three, two different three-day retreats where I'll learn a bunch of their stuff. Have you ever been on that before? No. No, I'm kind of, I mean, I'm excited and nervous. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, that's that's a good way to spend the off-season, I would say. Uh, but what kind of advice would you have for somebody who is going through Tommy John or somebody who is in high school who, you know, is going through that process that young age? You've gone through it, yeah. you know as a teenager essentially uh luckily the cubs knew that coming in but uh what was it like going through that and what do you talk to guys about when they're going through tommy john themselves yeah i would say uh the biggest thing i would say is just to stick to that program uh it's nice to have like stability when you really get into it where you know five days a week you're going to be doing short care for two hours a day and lifting for an hour and running and all that um definitely just do as much as you can for your body at that point and to try to take it a day at a time. Yeah. And looking back on it, you know, was there anything you feel like in high school that allowed that to happen? I mean, obviously Tommy John is pretty regular nowadays, but to have it happen that young, um, you know, was there anything you feel like you were, if you could go back to high school and pitch differently or pitch in a different way uh, that you would have changed because of the injury or do you kind of let things settle the way they settle? I think one of the big things was I gained so much velo so quick that I don't think my body uh, necessarily was able to keep up. Um, if I could go back, I would do more shorter care and try to learn more about you know taking care of my body. But at the end of the day, I was I was just a I was a high school kid. I didn't really know any better. So um, God, I don't know if I can necessarily say I would change anything. But obviously, the not not tearing it would have would have been nice. But <laughs> yeah, easier said than done, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but w- when did you notice that Velo was going to be special for you? Because even now you're still pumping 98. I mean, I was there at the Futures game and you were coming in at the end. And, and in a game that Hunter Green was hitting 100, you were right there with him yeah. hitting 98. Uh, Velo is such a special part of your game, but also a big thing in today's game. Uh, when did you notice that that was going to be something you were going to be able to do on the mound? Uh, my sophomore year, uh, I hit like 93 in our trial. And... Um, which was a big jump. And then I want to say I hit like 95 or 96. And I only pitched four innings and closed a couple games because uh, they were trying to uh, – I was playing shortstop and they didn't really need me and they were kind of trying to save my arm, uh, ironically. But, uh, yeah, I probably knew my sophomore year. All right, so we'll kind of end looking towards the future a little bit. We talked about the past, but uh, going into this off season, you know, you got the yoga retreats coming up. But knowing yep. that you're probably going to be starting next year, either Double A AA or Triple A Charlotte, uh, how does that change things for you? Knowing that a potential debut could be coming for you in, in 2019, because I know when Kopech got called up, there were people talking 
asking about you uh, up there in Chicago, and they were saying they were hopeful that you could be a part of the team in 2019. Uh, what does that do for your outlook going into this offseason? Yeah, I think that's just going to help me uh, prepare and focus even better. Um, and, you know, put as much into it as I can. I'm, I'm not going to necessarily worry about anything like that, but, you know, I, it's going to keep me eating good and lifting and, and getting my body ready, that's for sure. And just to go back to this, because I wanted to circle back to it as well, you brought up the slider. Um, I've read scouting reports on you. Like you said, it's not something you really threw before. Uh, when was yeah. it, When did you decide to make that part of your arsenal, and what do you do to differentiate in terms of breaking balls, your curveball from your slider? Uh, I mean, really, I started I started throwing it in double A. Um, I just, just one day decided I was going to throw it hard, and I threw it harder, and I actually kind of got a feel for it, and then I was able to execute it consistently for the rest of the year pretty much um and it's it's really about the grip um and the curveball is um obviously more of like a 12 to 6 pitch or my slider my slider actually has kind of a similar downward action like that um but it's not quite you know my, my curveball is like 75 78 79 my slider is you know should be 83 to 87 88 so it's, it's mainly just a little bit of speed difference and probably a little bit of um, the action on it. Yeah, and when you say you were the one who decided to throw it, was that a personal decision? Was that something the White Sox or one of your pitching coaches, uh, pitching coordinators was saying like, hey, this could certainly help you? Or did that was that just something you came up with fooling around in a bullpen? Uh, I always wanted to throw one, um, and the, the Cubs didn't let me. And then I got with the White Sox, and they were okay with me doing it. So um, I talked to uh, Matt Slesky and I think JR were the two biggest guys that helped me help me with my slider and help me figure out the grip with it. Yeah, and kind of along those ways, what other ways have you developed differently as a pitcher with the White Sox than you were as the Cubs? I mean, obviously, like we mentioned, pitching at double A is going to be different. Pitching at high A is going to be different. Those are two things you've done with the White Sox that you didn't do with the Cubs before you got traded. But uh, developmentally wise, what are some things the White Sox are doing differently with you since the trade? Um, I don't necessarily know if it's anything different. It's just, you know, now that I've done it, you know, multiple years in a row, I'm starting to kind of understand how to put everything together. Uh, so, I was, you know, this year I was able to execute pitches finally, whereas, you know, the last couple of years I didn't have great fastball command and I didn't really have any off-speed uh, command at all. So, um, you know, when you go from throwing 10 curveballs and like four of them are good and the rest aren't good to seven or eight are good and two are bad, then, then it's just, you know, it ups your chances of succeeding. Unfortunately, um, I was able to execute my pitches a lot better this year. Yeah, and we'll, we'll end on this one. Uh, again, looking forward, you know, to next year's spring training in Arizona. Everybody's going to be together. You're probably going to be in big league camp uh, for the first time or at least getting a taste of that on that side. I was in it. I was oh, in it you this were, season. Okay, you're, you were yeah. there before. Um, but at least yeah. a little bit closer this time. It's going to taste a little bit more real. Uh what are you expecting that to be like? And what are you guys like as a group of White Sox pitching prospects? Is there a competition amongst you guys, friendly as I'm sure it is? Or how much are you guys rubbing off on each other? I mean, what is that aspect like, knowing you're all trying to push to the majors for what's eventually going to be five rotation spots? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure there's a little bit of a competition aspect to it, but it's more it's more friendly than anything. You know, I'm not rooting against uh, anybody to make it, so... And for them not to make it so I can make it, it's more of a just to hopefully, you know, it makes us each elevate our game to a whole other level. 
Um, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it's definitely going to be exciting that we're all, you know, that much closer and, you know, Kopech's already there and, you know, Dan's not that far away either. So um, it, it should be fun. All right, well, we'll leave it on that. Uh, number five prospect in the White Sox system, Dylan Cease. Like we said, season's already over. Offseason's just about to begin. Uh, congrats on all the success this year, Dylan, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, well, joining us this week for episode 175, which is lot of episodes uh is benjamin hill fresh off his trip to aberdeen and fresh off people should know the first time we recorded this so a lot of the things we're going to be saying for the second time uh which is extremely my fault everybody should know um but anyways uh we do have a lot of fun stuff to talk about because you did come off that aberdeen trip you are going on a bunch of big trips this weekend to colorado Uh, but first off take us through aberdeen uh you were there for steamed crabs night uh, you got to be your own designated eater, which was pretty neat. Um, so what was that like, that trip to Maryland last Friday? Yeah, it was great. And even though, Sam, we just did this segment and uh, we just talked about all this, it's going to be new to everyone <laughs> no, listening. So let's just bring the spirit of newness um, <laughs> to, to all our listeners and uh, you know, say all the things we said before, such as we are in room 5N that of the Chelsea Market, before, the yes. same room that we were in last week for those keeping score at home. You are sitting to my right. That's I true. am therefore sitting to your left. And Tyler is not with us, and I miss him, and I, his voice should be coming through the screen or the speakers in your computer, and they're not. So, Tyler, I miss you. Um, Sam and I, we're struggling, clearly, but we're, we're, we're doing our best to get by. Um, as Sam mentioned, uh, well, I'm hitting a milestone this weekend in Colorado, the final two ballparks I have yet to visit. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but this past Friday, I wrapped up my uh, incremental uh, – kind of haphazard New York Penn League tour by going to Aberdeen on Friday night um, to see them play as the steamed crabs. Um, you know, they're usually the iron birds. They played as the steamed crabs as an homage to uh, the, the quintessential food in Maryland, uh, essentially, uh, uh, you know, the Chesapeake Bay, Maryland seafood, blue crabs. So they have a celebration of crabs at the ballpark. Um, I think it should be noted that the crabs, that the iron birds celebrate crabs at the ballpark, you know, year round. There are crab concession items of all types that you can get all the time, including the crab pretzel with a cream cheese based crab dip, uh, an old bay sausage, a crab flatbread, uh, what have you. As you mentioned, I was my own designated eater. Um, I had a chess steak, that's a Chesapeake style cheesesteak on a gluten-free bun. I had some uh, fries with crab dip. Uh, I had all sorts of wonderful stuff uh, that was gluten-free, and it was a great to-do, because usually I just watch people eat, and I get you know sad that I can't eat it, but that's a cross I have to bear, is uh, one with cel- celiac disease, and you know I'm okay with that. Uh, you know I, I deal with it. But it was nice to have a gluten-free feast of my own at the ballpark, and of course this was highlighted by the steamed crabs themselves. Uh, and I hadn't had steamed crabs for a long time. Uh, concessions manager Tim Graham gave me a tutorial. He is a man with crab in his blood, he told me, which is, of course, uh, hopefully not literal, but... Yeah, would that be C-R-A-B positive? <laughs> wow. Yes, I'm going to go with that. A-B positive is a, is a blood type. No, it was great. Yeah. yeah. You didn't use that joke the last time. I didn't use that. That's the thing. We're bringing fresh stuff to this one. Man, man. that was good. Yeah, his blood is cray... Crab... Cra- C-R-A-B positive. That's all you got to say. A-B is the thing, and we're just tacking on C-R to the front of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm explaining my joke as if this makes it any better. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the reason I don't make mistakes in my writing is because I'm typo negative. 
There it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, he, this man has crab in his blood. His name is Tim <laughs> Graham. He's the concession manager of the Aberdeen Ironbirds. He gave me a t- tutorial on how to eat them, which essentially is like you rip off the claws, and then you break the claws and not break the claws in two, but where there's a joint, you break that off. Use the mallet. Get some really nice uh, hunk of, of uh, meat there in the claw. Um, then they got all those like little those little legs which you kind of rip off and just suck you know you get you get what you can out of them right. uh the back fin that's no good you throw the little back fin away there's like the back legs i guess and then you uh flip the crab over and there's essentially like a built-in pull tab for uh you know easy access to the cab the crab's uh, underbelly so you rip that off and there's the lungs and what they call the mustard you know which is like i guess like you know what the crab hadn't uh defecated yet <laughs> you know this is really getting down and dirty you know? yeah and, and i like it it's at a ballpark so the, the team actually has a 56 dollars all-you-can-eat crab feast on during sunday home games and of course on this crab night um steamed crabs night and uh, so i was eating these steamed crabs and uh, really loving every second of it the team gave me a bunch of steamed crabs to take home with me which i was going to eat in the hotel room that night of the aberdeen comfort inn but decided that that would be a little too messy for the hotel i'm very conscious of not making a mess uh, for housekeeping, you know, who are hardworking individuals. And so I took them home with me. Uh, it was a long drive home. You know, driving on 95 in the New Jersey Turnpike uh, on a summer weekend is no good. Even though, you know, you, you look at Google Maps and you're like, ah, it's just a straight shot out of the city, three hours. Going up on Friday and coming back on Saturday, those were uh, not good drives. And on the way back, I had a whole box of crabs with me. And I got back to my room, to my apartment. You know, I live alone. And I ate them all by myself in my kitchen and uh, had a little crab feast for one. <laughs> yeah, which you could have, how many people could you have fed for that? And what would you have charged if not 56 well, it wasn't about charging people. You uh, know, if I had friends, uh, if I had friends, I could have invited them. But uh, I also live in Brooklyn, Ben. I'm just saying. I'm not that far from you. I'm sorry, Sam. I should have invited you over for a crab feast. Yes. Well, that's what, if you go, when you go to the Rocky Mountains this weekend, if you cut, no, never mind. I don't I'm going to bring you back no, some no, Rocky Mountain no, oysters. No, no, yes. No, that's okay. We will eat some Rocky Mountain oysters. I'll get some gluten-free Rocky Mountain oysters. If you, if you come back with, like, breakfast burritos, because I will say uh. Colorado has some fantastic breakfast burritos. If you do that, I will show up at your door when you get back. When are you getting back? I'm getting back on Wednesday. Wednesday. I will be there at your door Wednesday morning. I'm not sure how these breakfast burritos are going to keep. They're that good. I, 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 w- I would wait for them. All right, man. I'm waiting for you to come and knock on, come and knock on my, yeah, my door. door. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, now that that's kind of set aside, you did mention that it is a trip down I-95. I've driven past it. Anybody who's gone from New York to Washington, vice versa, to New York to Baltimore, anything kind of along that eastern seaboard, there's probably passed by the stadium there. It's part of a kind of bigger complex uh, for youth baseball and all that. But how do the Ironbirds kind of plug themselves into that area? Well, you know, it's easy on, easy off right there on 95. You know, as you mentioned, you know, that's a ballpark that uh, if you live in the Northeast, it's one you're more likely to incidentally see than just about any other ballpark. And it's not just uh, the home of the Ironbirds. Uh, there's a whole youth baseball complex uh, surrounding it with all sorts of different fields, you know, obviously very maintained very uh, very well. It's the Ripken name, Ripken brand. Cal and Billy are owners. Uh, so the Ripken family is embedded in that organization. And, uh, you know, there's proximity not just uh, for the Aberdeen Ironbirds to Baltimore, but the entire Baltimore system. Uh, so it's a great area to live if you're an Orioles fan. Um, you know, it's not great to be an Orioles fan in the year 2018. <laughs> not so much, no. But uh, every from uh, Class A short season Aberdeen all the way up through AAA Norfolk, you can get to all their parks uh, easily. And uh, that's a great thing. So um, 
I'd recommend going if you're an Orioles fan or not. Um, the drive on 95 can maybe not be pleasant, but it's easy. And uh, you can get some steam crabs at a ballpark, and uh, that's not something you can do anywhere else. And it's a really fun, even though I eat crabs alone, because um, I didn't call you and I don't have any friends beyond you. Sam, you're my only friend. Oh, man. Well, okay. We don't need to get that deep on this. We can save that for our other talk when we go through this a third time and how this is going to get more and more personal every time we do this. Is this an experiment? Are we just going to do this every time until, like, take eight is just This is my uh, Black Mirror episode. It's just Ben getting uh, saying nice things about me after the tenth take. Um, But anyway, so, so, yeah, so this comes at the end of your New York Penn League trip. You've gone to Brooklyn, Staten Island, State College, Williamsport, for the Little League Classic, now you're wrapping it up with Aberdeen. Uh, when you look back on these trips, because they're not all one big thing, you're, you're mostly day trips here, uh, how would you kind of look back at, at this section of your tour this year? Well, I look at it as, uh, you know, we talked about proximity is the one most local to me. You know, two of the five teams I visited are in the bur- are, are in New York City, uh, Brooklyn Cyclones and Coney Island and Staten Island Yankees. So it's weird to go on the road while not actually, you know, quote-unquote being on the road. Um, and uh, the New York Penn League is an interesting lead to explore. You know, I only hit five parks this time around, but I've been to all of them uh, through the years. And um, there's a lot going on. It's, uh, you know, the, the name New York Penn League speaks to the league's origins, and the, there's obviously still teams in New York and Pennsylvania. Um, but now you see a much more sprawling footprint in that league and a mix of the old guard, like Batavia and Auburn, uh, the smaller cities with uh, your Staten Islands and your Brooklyn's, and, uh, you know, Lowell Spinners in a nicer new facility, a, a New, a new ball, a new-ish ballpark uh, in Morgantown, West Virginia, and what have you. So it's a fun league to explore with a lot of diverse environments, and I'd say it's uh, similar to the Midwest League in that way. And uh, therefore, you know, one of my favorite leagues in minor league baseball. All right, so looking forward to this weekend. Uh, it's a big weekend, not only because it's the last weekend in minor league baseball, but it's also the chance for you to tick off the final two stadiums. Uh, that you have yet to see of the 159 minor league stadiums. For those who don't know, Roger Dean Stadium in uh, Jupiter, Florida, is shared by both the Jupiter Hammerheads and the Palm Beach Cardinals, so there's 159 for 160 teams. You are going to Colorado Springs to see the Sky Sox before they end their AAA affiliation and they become a rookie-level team in the Pioneer League. And speaking of the Pioneer League, then you're going to Grand Junction, and at that point you will have seen everything. We'll get more into what that feeling is going to be like next week once you've completed that journey. Uh, But what are you looking forward to about going to Colorado, going to see these two clubs? Well, you know, first and foremost, the the two I haven't been to, and this is a big milestone for me to to go from, uh, you know, getting this job somewhat randomly in 2005, part-time night shift, to uh, parlaying it into seeing every single minor league baseball ballpark is um, something I'm proud of and uh, something I'm really looking forward to doing and something that has, you know, consumed me over the last couple weeks in terms of, hitting that milestone and doing things related to the milestone and hopefully uh, you know, continuing to expand my audience, which what I feel is still an underrated uh, niche, exploring America through minor league baseball. It's, it's really the best thing in all sports writing um, easily. So I don't know why I'm not world famous with what I'm doing, but I'm getting there. And, um, you know, but all kidding aside, it does mean a lot to me. And also I'm not kidding. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, so Colorado Springs, you know, as everyone knows, uh, rookie level Helena will be relocating to Colorado Springs next year. The AAA team currently existing in Colorado Springs is going to go to San Antonio. The AA team currently existing in San Antonio is going to go to Amarillo and play in a new ballpark. I mean, we all know that. But um, 
I will be seeing the last uh, weekend of, uh, I'll be there Sunday, Monday, so I'll, be, I'll see the final two games in Colorado, in, uh, Colorado Springs AAA history. And, and also their last and their weekend last, as the Sky And their Sox. last two teams as the Sky Sox, because they're going to change their name to something like the Rocky Mountain Oysters or something like uh, of that That is nature. a possibility. It yeah. really is that possibility. And, uh, you know, that's a euphemism, Rocky Mountain Oysters. And... Um, so looking forward to seeing that end of an era and covering it the best I can and uh, then going to Grand Junction uh, where I've never been. Uh, that's the home of the Junior College World Series. And, uh, you know, just the way it worked out. Just for, for me, on one hand, this is a big milestone. Not on one hand. It is a big milestone for me and something I'm, you know, I hope to celebrate in some way, shape, or form, probably by eating alone in my kitchen. <laughs> just like We've a, been over this. <laughs> just like with steamed crabs. Um, but also... Um, you know, but I'm still there just to do the job, which I always do, which is to really, in all honesty, not make it about me and to, and to report on the people and, play, and things that make it unique. I'll have my designated eaters there to try, try food items. And, um, you know, obviously I built an angle in Colorado Springs with uh, the end of AAA and Grand Junction. It's a, a little bit TBD, but I'm sure I'll get something out of it. So I'm really looking, uh, looking forward to that and, uh, you know, getting the job done. And then there's, I consider this a long and winding road to have been Ben's Biz 1.0, and we'll see uh, what the future brings. But first things first, we just want to get through this and uh, enjoy it as much as I can. Yeah, and I'll ask you something that I didn't ask last time. We'll spice it up a little bit. But uh, when you are going to a place for the first time, uh, obviously you kind of have your process down pat now. Uh, are there times when even you are surprised? Sure. I mean... There's a lot of times, you know, I'll go to a team that maybe just, you know, social media-wise, promotion-wise, doesn't do things all that, you know, eye-popping or eye-catching beyond their local market. They're not a team I've communicated with much in the past, you know, from afar, and I don't really know what to expect. And from the moment I walk in, I'm just like, bam, wow, you know, this is like, who knew, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways. And, and, and I love to be pleasantly surprised that way. Um, you know, I love sometimes being in a ballpark on a dead night when the team says they're inevitable uh, you should have been here yesterday you should have been here you should be here saturday or whatever but i like seeing teams operate under under uh, less than ideal conditions to see like the uh true creativity and uh, stick to its spirit that shines through and the absurdities that result <laughs> you know you know more often uh in small crowds you know i kind of like being surprised by the little things that uh that you just couldn't have ever planned for. And, and I like that the nature of my job allows me to suddenly, you know, somehow just get thrown into, you know, between any contests or talking to someone I didn't expect to be talking to. And there's always this internal monologue in my head somewhere like, wow, like you're doing this right now. This is your job. And it's strange. Sometimes, you know, whatever, dressing up as a hot dog and like, racing a crab like I did in Aberdeen, it becomes almost second nature. And I don't think about it. And then 10 minutes later, I'm interviewing someone or meeting with the designated eater. You know, you get used to that kind of uh, that whiplash, but um, there's surprises to be had everywhere, and that's why I've stuck with this for so long because you really never know what you're going to see, and I always try to keep an eye out for uh, for everything, and I don't sit still at a game, and I'm always walking around, and I'm always just trying to see what I can see, even uh, on, on a small level, because um, that's what I'm there for. So I don't turn my mind off until I get back home and eat alone at my kitchen. You're going to keep coming back to this, aren't you? Yeah. You're just trying to get people to come to your door and just be like, Ben, we're hoping you're not eating alone. Yeah, yeah. I live on Beverly Road right off the Q stop. See, there you go. Just find it. Everybody will know Ben in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, but let's. this is the last weekend of minor league baseball. That means the last opportunity for promotions. Uh, there is a pretty cool one coming up this weekend. Uh, a couple of others that we can talk about more uh, starting next week. My favorite is the Daytona one, which they're going to be the kings of the north for their playoff run, uh, which is really cool. That's a tie-in to Game of Thrones for anybody who doesn't get that reference. Daytona won 
the FSL North Division first half title, uh, which allowed them to kind of plan this in advance. They weren't just ordering these jerseys last week, basically. Uh, so that'll be really cool. Look for that during the playoffs. Teams still need to sell playoff tickets. The promos are still going to be involved. Um, but one of the more popular promos across the minors, uh, I feel like this year, recent years, has been office night. And there's going to be a really cool office night this weekend to kind of end things all together uh, in Scranton, Wilkes, we're with the Scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders, obviously home of Scranton, home of the office. What can you tell us about that? Well, I can tell you that Scranton Wilkesbury Yankees is the most characters in a team name in all of minor league baseball. And fun the fact, Yankees. Scranton Wilkesbury Yankees. But they're not the Yankees anymore. Oh right, Rail Riders. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Rail Riders has even more characters. So right, it, right. So they have the most characters in all of minor league baseball. And uh, then fun fact beyond that, even though they carry the name of Scranton slash Wilkes dash bar or Barry, depending on your preferences, they play in neither of those locales. No, they don't. Yeah. They play in music PA. But that's neither here nor there. That's just something for you to impress your friends, uh, you, you know, your girlfriend, your, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife. <laughs> it's um, like that old SNL skit. Scranton, Wilkesbury, Neither Scranton nor Wilkesbury. Discuss. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the coffee lady. Is it the coffee lady? I think so, yes. Is that what she was? Mike Myers. Anyway, um, as you know, the NBC sitcom The Office, which ran for nine seasons, um, was based in Scranton. And uh, five years ago when the show ended, uh, a rap party was held um, you know, throughout the city of Scranton that culminated on at PNC Field with uh, the full cast, including Steve Carell, who was originally not scheduled to be there. Uh, so that was a huge uh, promotion that, you know, with no disrespect to the Rail Riders, they kind of lucked into just based on being based where that show was. Um, but this year, uh, this weekend, I think Saturday, I believe, but check my column for all the details. That's, that's your hook to actually go yeah, check it out. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll never know when it's happening. Uh, MILB.com, promo preview column running uh, Thursday, the same day this podcast drops. They are having an office promo. Um, it's been five years since the show ended. They're giving a Dundee Award to the first 2,500 fans in attendance, a reference to the Dundee Awards given out by Michael Scott on the show to employees in his office. They're also soliciting nominations for specific Dundee Awards, uh, such as Best Ball. Uh, best Beat Writer, which can also be spelled B-E-E-T as a tribute to Dwight Schrute and his Beat Farm, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, having an Office Olympics with a uh, yogurt lid gold medal. Um, Vance, I forget his first name, from the show. The guy from Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> the actor who plays him will be at the ballpark. Uh, so during the last weekend of the season, you know, you see a lot of fan appreciation nights and you see a lot of mystery giveaways, which is essentially just teams... Uh, you know, a dramatic way to say we're cleaning out our storage closet. Uh, So for a team like the Rail Riders to have one of their premier promotions on the last weekend of the season is not necessarily a common thing. In a lot of cases, one, um, a lot of interns and, uh, you know, seasonal help has gone back to college or whatnot. So a lot of times teams are understaffed. School has started again, even if it is a holiday weekend. You know, people's thoughts go to football and the opening of NFL and college football and high school football. It's kind of a tough time of year to close things out. So kudos to the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders. Rail Riders, yes. Who play in neither it Scranton the- nor Wilkesbury for having this promotion this weekend. All right, so lots of big things coming up this weekend. Check out the promo preview column, as Ben said. Uh, something that I doubt will be in there is that you are going to Staten Island uh, to defend a bubblegum blowing competition, or your your blowing your bubblegum blowing title. 
I should say, that you won during your first trip to Staten Island this year? Yeah, uh, I leave for Colorado on Saturday, but on Friday night I'm going back to Staten Island. Uh, last time I was there, they had a bazooka bubblegum blowing contest, uh, which I won the sem- semifinal round. I won the finals on top of the dugout after the game. Um, everyone was uh, deeply impressed by my bubblegum blowing skills. I mean, not really. So, well, well we, we can say they we were. We can say yeah. that. We can definitely say that. Everyone was deeply impressed by my bubblegum blowing skills. And so on Friday, when I go back, uh, Kurt Bavakwa, former Major League uh, slugger of sorts, uh, you know, not, not a household name, but a guy who had former a major leaguer. former Major Leaguer, played a good 15, 16 years in the bigs, if my uh, memory serves. Uh, in 1975, he won a bubblegum blowing competition uh, that was immortalized on a tops card the following season, and it's a massive bubble. So Will Smith, the president of the Yankees, uh, is a fan of gum and Kerp of Aqua and the intersection of the two. So he invited uh, Kerp of Aqua to the ballpark to defend his crown, and I'll be going up against Kerp of Aqua at the ballpark in a bubblegum-blowing competition. Staten Island, Friday night, be there or be square, and join me in my apartment after the game for a post-game meal. <laughs> All right, so lots of accomplishments coming up this weekend. You either... Well, you're going to be blowing lots of bubble gum on Friday. Then you're heading to Colorado, finishing all 159 ballparks. Lots of big things. We'll talk about it more next week. We'll have you as a featured guest. We'll kind of blow it out next week now, once you complete it. Uh, but good luck this weekend. Have fun in Colorado, and uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot coming up. I'm looking forward to taking a break from minor league baseball and <laughs> sooner than not because I need time to decompress. Um, Hopefully I can go see Ozzy Osbourne at Jones Beach on Saturday, September 8th. If anyone wants to go with me, um, let me know. (laughs) And that's it. That's it. All right. And Tyler's totally going to leave that in now. Yep. Final segment on this week's episode number 175 of the Show Before the Show podcast. Again, uh, apologies for my voice. I'm also in a in a hotel for the final time this season uh, during the Show Before the Show. So if the uh, the stream quality, the internet recording quality has not been um, terrific, just deal with it. It's a free podcast. But next week we'll be back to normal. So there. <laughs> um, but uh, this week on MILB.TV... We are getting close to the postseason, and uh, you can watch the the final days of playoff races and the start of the postseason. Sam, what are you watching this week? Yeah, so I've got my eye on one pitcher in particular. Uh, normally, we don't get to watch that many FSL games on MILB TV, but this will be kind of a treat. Slated to go this Friday for Class A Advanced Tampa at Bradenton, which will be a MILB TV stream, uh, is Davey Garcia, uh, the number 12 prospect in the Yankees system. feel like the Yankees always just pop out these prospects. Jonathan Lysiga uh, was one of them to begin the year. Uh, Justin Sheffield, somebody else, although they got him from the Indians, obviously. But they do a really good job at just developing pitching Taking guys who have front line stuff and turning that into results. Uh, Garcia actually tossed seven perfect innings with 12 strikeouts in his FSL debut back on August 6th. Uh, right now, he's got a 1.27 ERA and five starts with 35 strikeouts and 28 and a third innings. Uh, he's only five foot ten, so he's on the small side, which has many questioning whether he can stick as a starter going forward. Uh, but he's got a plus fastball. He's got a curveball that has a, a really good spin rate, uh, which obviously is a big part of today's game in understanding all that kind of stuff. Um, so 
this is the chance to kind of get to see him. He can work low 90s to mid 90s with his fastball. Uh, for somebody who's really dominating the level, this will be a chance for him to go out on, on another high on Friday. Uh, so I'll be really interested to see how that stuff plays, how he'll kind of continue to handle this uh, jump to Class A advanced. And, you know, I'm already ticketing him for a potential real breakout next year. Uh, he's only thrown in 69 innings this year between Tampa and Charleston. What happens when he throws 100 innings? Uh, I'll be looking forward to that next year. But first things first, let's see how he does Friday at Bradenton. Uh, what do you got your eye on, Tyler? Yeah, the Pacific Coast League, um, this is kind of a, a fond farewell in that we won't have to deal with it any longer. The Las Vegas 51 stream for MILB.TV, if you have ever tuned in on MILB.TV, is um, unique. Uh, and the last time that the Las Vegas 51s will be streaming from Cashman Field this weekend, the 51s will be taken on the Sacramento Rivercats. So um, you can say goodbye to it in the way that, you know, Philadelphia said goodbye to the vet or uh, you say goodbye to um, like an old car. Um, it's a, a thing that has been there and now they're moving in a brand new Las Vegas ballpark next year. And uh, but Vegas, there is uh, some other stuff to keep an eye on in that game. Mayo Sacramento, Peter Alonzo, who we talked about earlier on in the show, Peter Alonzo going for the minor league home run title in 2018. Also, David Wright is there this week on a rehab assignment. Uh, the New York Mets third baseman still trying to make it back to the major leagues. And I think if you would have told a lot of people at the start of 2018 that David Wright would be in AAA by the end of the year with the, the back issue, the degenerative spine condition that he's got, I don't think many people would have believed that. And uh, I know I'm cheering for David Wright, so that's something else you can keep an eye out for on MILB.TV this weekend. Yeah, and the, the weird thing is about both of those guys is that this might be the last chance you get to see either of them uh, on the season. It, you know, We said earlier in the show that the Mets have made it very explicit. They don't plan on calling up Alonzo. Uh, they've also made it pretty explicit that they don't plan on activating right. Uh, I would love to see him up in the majors too. Uh, it sounds like it's mostly, mostly a financial issue, which is really a shame. I think insurance is covering 75% of his salary so long as he's not on the active roster. Um, but, you know, if he gets a chance to show a little something this weekend or at the end of this week, I think his rehab assignment has to be up by Friday. Uh, then maybe he can tip the scales. Maybe he can get some good PR on his side. But uh, fingers crossed. Either way, get a chance to say goodbye to Las Vegas and Cashman Field in a TV way. That's one of the first minor league ballparks that I ever remember having any type of exposure to. I remember on ESPN back in the day, ESPN 2, I think, uh, they used to run the, the AAA All-Star game every once in a while. They'd have like the AAA Home Run Derby from Cashman Field in Las Vegas. And uh, in Cashman Field, the end of a, a minor league era in Vegas. Uh, coming up this week as they close down that ballpark. So that'll do it for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Thanks for hanging with us. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah.